Hey, if you want to see some video stuff from these great podcasts that we're doing on this feed and on the rewatchables, go to youtube.com slash Bill Simmons, subscribe, and you'll get all the stuff. You also get six years of old stuff. The basketball wine cellar I created for the 21st century, the book of basketball stuff, full rewatchables episodes, the whole thing. Go check it out. YouTube.com slash Bill Simmons. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now, I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where we have an incredible gimmick coming starting on Monday for five straight weeks on the rewatchables. You will never guess what this gimmick is. It's ridiculous. I'm really excited about it. Uh, we did Casino last week, if you missed it. The Prestige TV Podcast, They've been diving into uh, Ozark this week, as well as Euphoria. Did a Hall of Fame episode about the season three finale of Lost. Mallory Rubin, Joanne Robinson, who you can also hear on the Ringerverse. Um, lots of good stuff going on on the Ringer these days. Hope you're checking out Plain English with Derek Thompson, which is a relatively new podcast for us, but um, I think it's been absolutely fantastic, especially in these times, in these weird, crazy times that we're living in right now. I would recommend that one as well. We're also brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, where we, in Million Dollar Picks a little bit later, I'm going to tell you what our same game parlay is that you could do, as well as some other fun things that we're doing on Million Dollar Picks. So there you go. Thanks to everybody who uh, reached out about the Embiid thing I did on Tuesday. That was fun. I'm going to try to start doing those a little bit more. My fingers, still don't know if they work, but they, they sometimes they can start moving. Sometimes there's life. Who knows? All right. Coming up on this podcast, we're going to talk to Brian Windhorst, my old friend from ESPN, about my beloved Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that I've just adopted like a rescue dog. I just really enjoy watching them. We're going to talk about them and uh, a couple other NBA things. And then Peter Schrager is going to come on. Million Dollar Picks, Championship Weekend, McVeigh versus Shanahan, all kinds of storylines. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. But first, our friends from Pearl Jam.
All right, my old friend Brian Windhorst is here. You can read him on ESPN.com. You can see him on the ESPN TV channels. You can hear him on the Hoop Collective podcast that he does for them. We haven't talked in a while. I was thinking about you this week because the Cavs are good again. And that was where you made your bones originally yes. way back when in the yeah. in the early 21st century. It was a team that I really liked heading into the season as being like a fun league pass, frisky. Maybe they could be a 10th seed in the playing game type of thing. I love Mobley. Garland, I certainly didn't see this coming, but they are now a game and a half out of the one seed in the East. Just... I know you've been watching. I know you have a lot of connections with that team. Did anyone see this? No, and they didn't see it either. And if they told you that, they would be lying. They didn't know Garland was going to play like this. They were excited about Mobley. You know, they they had this plan in place to play Mobley, Lowry Markinen, and Jared Allen together, but they didn't know it was going to work. And like, I've talked to J.D. Bickerstaff about this. Like, you know, they went off to a retreat at this resort in Pennsylvania and they hunkered down and they went over all their ways they could play big guys together. He talked about when his dad was running the Seattle Sonics and they had Sean Kemp and Detlef Schrempf and a center, various centers who came through there and they played yep. the three big guys. You know why they played three big guys, Bill? Because those were their, like three of their best players. They had no guards and they had bigs, so they played their best guys. Yeah. Um, and then Sexton blew out his knee. He didn't blow out his knee, but he hurt his meniscus and he's out. And it opened the door for Garland and everything fell into place. It turned out Allen and Mobley could play together. It turned out that Mobley like, would be a difference-making defensive player from day one, which is beyond rare in the NBA. I mean, you sometimes see guys be difference-making offensive players. You don't see difference-making defensive players who are 19. You know, this guy who the, um, the Pelicans drafted Herbert Jones. Oh, yeah. He's a stud. Um, he's like a difference-making defensive player. He's also 23. You know, he had four years of college. He's not 19 and, and slight. And so, like, there's there's no way they would believe they would be in second place in the end of January or third place, whatever it is. I love Mobley. He was my favorite player in the draft. I still can't believe he fell to third. You need luck like this sometimes. And Cleveland's had the luck a few times. I mean, they've also, they've picked you know, high up in the lottery, probably more times this century than any <laughs> other other the franchise. They got lucky that the the you think about that Memphis, if they had gotten the first pick, they wouldn't have had to give it to Detroit that whole draft. Instead Cleveland yep. gets LeBron. They get the Kyrie draft where it's like Kyrie or Derek Williams. I still don't understand what happened to Derek Williams. But you know, they've had even I, I guess the Wiggins pick, they were able, that was the year they were able to flip it to Kevin Love. But you think if Embiid doesn't get hurt the week before, that might have been another lucky one. The Mobley thing to me is the luckiest out of all of them because to get that guy third, I do think we'll be looking back at that a couple decades from now and being like, wow, like the same way we look at the KG thing, you know, and some of these other ones are like, wow. How did they not well, see this? It was a lot more complicated in the moment, obviously. But Well, think of the layers of luck because... They had to get lucky to jump up into the top four. They got third, but like right. they weren't guaranteed. I mean, they had decent odds. Like it was not out of the realm of possibility for the Oklahoma City Thunder to get picks three and four. Um, and there's, I can't, I can't remember if the Houston pick was top three protected or top four protected. Maybe it wasn't yeah. possible for them to get four and five. Like Oklahoma City could have gotten in there with two picks. Yep. And Cleveland not only gets lucky to get in there, 
But then, you know, Detroit locks on Cade Cunningham. And Houston, from what I understand, didn't even seriously consider Evan Mobley. It was Jalen Green. The Cavs knew they were getting Mobley from like a week after the lottery on. They locked into him. And there well, were you knew, where, and you knew they knew it because they teams are trying to trade up to that pick, which is usually yeah. a sign you have something special. When seven teams are like, "Hey, what about this? Hey, what if he gave you this?" and they're like, "No, we're good. We're gonna take Evan Mobley." Yeah, and like so, they had to they had to get lucky to get up there, and then there had to be a guy there at three. You know, three. You go through the history. You know, yeah, there's Michael Jordan, but there's Ennis Cantor. No offense, to Ennis Cantor, but you know, right. not an all star. So, you know. A lot of years is good, James Harden, but um, they were they got it in a year where, was, and you know, it's it's very rare, Bill, as you know, for a rookie to make a difference in winning and losing. You yeah. know, like LeBron made a difference in winning and losing, but he still didn't make the playoffs till his third year. Um, Luca made a difference in winning and losing, but they weren't a playoff team coming out of the gate. Like to actually be able to say we're going to win games because I'm in for a 19-year-old, is very unheard of. And when you watch him play, he's got a lot of room to grow. He's going to get bigger and stronger. He's going to polish his game up a little bit. You don't look at him as fully formed. So they had the they had an incredible stroke of uh, luck hit them. And the other thing is Garland, because Garland all of a sudden is an all-star level player, and nobody saw that coming. I promise and an all-star you, level creator, that. too. Like somebody at, in the last four minutes of a game I love the decisions he makes. And you think like if Philly had said, we'll take Garland and Kevin Love for Simmons in August or September, I think Cleveland probably would have done that, right? Why wouldn't they yeah. have? They, I, they definitely were interested in that because how are they going to get a player like Ben Simmons? Yeah. But you think like they already had the player, they just didn't realize it. So then you talk, it's weird. I, I hate saying injuries are luck, but this is an old football saying about sometimes you're one injury away. And and it would, the Sexton Garland thing was weird the first couple weeks of the season because it was clear Rubio and Garland should have been the backcourt that they were closing with. I was getting, I don't even care about the Cavs, but I really was attached to Mobley and I was watching them. And, um, and it was just so clear that Ruby, Rubio and Garland should be the backcourt. But they had the Sexton thing. Yep. And he was such an important guy for them and they couldn't navigate it. They couldn't figure it out. He was so clearly better suited to be like a six man off the bench. And then he just gets hurt. And Garland yeah, and just they goes to another level. And they didn't extend him, remember? Like, so he right. was up for an extension. He didn't get it. And J.B. Bickerstaff saw how good Rubio was out there. So he started reducing Sexton's minutes. Yep. And you're like, boy, how is that going to go? And they had a really tough early schedule. Um, they had to go out west, like, on a five-game trip, like the third game of the season, which for them, it was I like, remember oh, that. I watched that. Remember, they, was, they had momentum. And I remember I'd done a podcast about, I think this... I was there for KG. I was there for Tim Duncan. I think Mobley has a chance. I'm not going to say it's definitely happening, but I'm telling you he has a chance to get to that level of those guys. And then they played the Lakers, and Davis was healthy at that point. And Mobley was so good defensively moving around. And that was the game in the fourth quarter. LeBron and Davis are like, let's teach the young guy a lesson. And he he was having trouble keeping up to the speed, but he was in the right spots. It was just he had never seen anything like that in his life. You go from high school, college to LeBron Davis, like pick and rolls and yeah. switches and things like that. But he, the signs were there, you know, and, they, and then the fact that the, that love has been rejuvenated. Oh. What were the odds of that? 10 to one. Oh man. Well, first off, 
they come back from that West Coast trip. And this is in end of October, early November. And something happens that I don't ever remember happening. And I got such a kick out of it. They go three and two on the trip. And it was like the first, I don't remember the stat. I wish I had it. First time they'd gone on a winning West Coast road trip without LeBron since like I was in grade school, like in the 90s. I mean, as it is, Bill, they haven't gone to the playoffs without LeBron since 98. I was a sophomore. I don't even remember who who was 98. Like it was like uh, Sean Kemp. Kemp, when he like still had a little bit of juice, he was he was past his prime, but he still he was still like an all star. Terrell Brandon, Uh, Andre Miller. Oh, Andre um, Miller. Okay. uh, Zogalskis was starting to get going. Mm. Um, Not not a lot of stories about that. That was a first. It was that was a one in first round exit. (laughs) The last time they won a playoff series without LeBron, 1993. Oh, I was. A good Cavs team. Yeah, yeah. I like those guys. That was the Price Doherty era. I thought those Price teams Doherty were good. Nance, yeah. Um, Bad luck. I, that's a team that four years later probably makes the finals, but the team, the league was just stacked in the well, early 90s. Well, I've always thought about this as I've covered LeBron through the years and saw these Pacers, like the Pacers of the mid the mid-teens with Hibbert yep. before the league changed and Paul George and David West and George Hill and, you know, first edition Lance. That was such a fun team. Yeah. They couldn't get past LeBron. I mean, I, I related to the Pacer fans. Uh, you just ran into a better player. Um, seeing LeBron like completely devastate the t- entire chance for Derrick Rose and those Bulls, Joe Kim Noah, Lou Aldang, like he just beat them like every year. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I understand it. I mean, he he's done that, you know, the the Hawks had like the greatest teams since they moved from St. Louis. Yeah, and they and never had a chance. They were getting whitewashed in 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 the in these these playoffs, and that was like a good team. So anyway, they go three and two on this trip, and first time in forever they'd done it. And Kobe Altman, their general manager, puts out a statement, and it's put it's issued like on a team Twitter account, and the headline, and I think they emailed it out to reporters too, and the headline it said right on the top of it, from the desk of Kobe Altman. Oh yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. I mean, it's the middle of football season. You probably <laughs> no, I don't remember it. <laughs> and it was basically like, "Hey, I'm just going to translate. It. Hey, guys, we think we actually might have a good team here. We're not going to. We don't want to get too excited, but just so all you fans know, um, we just we kind of think we got a good team. And it was just kind of a it was kind of a weird thing, but like they've been in the winter for four years, and it was kind of like you know the first day of spring. You know, remember the first day of spring in college, Bill? Yeah. Yeah, it was, the, a good, it was a good day. People were wearing shorts. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a good day. That, yeah, that's what like, that was. Kobe Altman's going to win Executive of the Year, I think, the way mm. this is shaping up. Well, and, let's see what he does at the deadline. That'll maybe def- define it. Well, if they, if they get Eric Gordon, it's a wrap. He'll win it because that that's exactly the guy they need. It's weird because on the one hand, what you said about just the, the organizational philosophy to look at your team and say, this is unconventional. This isn't where the league is going, but let's just play our best guys. We yeah. we need Mobley. Mobley's ability to be able to guard any type of position allows us to do this, and maybe this will be an advantage. Like That's really smart. I can't give him credit for Mobley dropping to three because if he doesn't no. take him, maybe he gets a little credit for, God only knows what OKC was offering to move up. Maybe he gets a little credit for holding that off. Um, Garland at four seemed like a pretty, everybody pretty much agreed with that pick. The, and then the yeah, Jared but they Allen. were under some pressure because they drafted Kyrie Irving, and the next year they could have taken Waiters or Lillard, and they right. took 
and they took waiters because they right. felt like we can't have two point guards. Yep. Same philosophy as David Kahn with Johnny Flynn and Steph Curry. And it obviously blew up in their face. And so like when Garland was sitting there, they took him basically because they were like, we know this could be a clash, but we can't do it. We can't make another Lillard mistake. I didn't and, love it, but I also didn't love the other options. Yeah, I don't even remember what the other options were. Yeah, it was it, pretty rough. It was, it was awkward right from the start with that pick. So the Jared Allen thing, I think, is the savviest thing they did because Stolen. all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a Jared Allen fire sale because he needs to be thrown in that trade. And Houston, for whatever reason, says, nah, we don't want Jared Allen, but if you could turn <laughs> him into a pick, yeah, well, well, let's add that. So now the Nets are frantically shopping Jared Allen to try to get any sort of a pick. And what's crazy is that somehow the Cavs had the best offer. I don't, what was it like? Was it a pick okay, in so the here, 20s? Yeah, here's what happened. So it was a pick that they had from the Bucks. I think it ended up being like the Bucks have the 27th or 28th pick. Right. I think it ended up turning into Cam Thomas, who's actually pretty good for the Nets. Um, yeah. I think the Nets got the pick, but I can't remember. But what they did was is they took on Torian Prince and his $10 million on his contract this year mm. or whatever it was. And that trade is where the Cavs turnaround really started. I mean, I guess yeah. you could argue when they drafted um, Garland, but because that trade also got them Rubio. And I know Rubio is out now, but Rubio got this going and also can be used in a trade. It, because, so they, they took Torian Prince and flipped him for Rubio. Who now could be used for Eric Gordon. Right. Which just a great trade because Rubio was terrific for this team early in the season. And... Rubio helped with love. You know, Ru you forget, Rubio and love played together in Minnesota earlier in their careers. They got along. And Kevin was in such a bad mood. And I will say this, Kevin deserves credit because we see situations with big contracts out there that are going sideways. Yeah. We see it with John Wall. We see it with Ben Simmons, although that's not for lack of skill. That's for other reasons, obviously. It's going to end up that way with Russell Westbrook, whether it's in LA or wherever they trade him we can see how that's going to end. In and Greece? The, Cav <laughs> <laughs> the Cavs tried to trade Love a hundred different times. Yeah. He's, he's mouthing off like he's doing all kinds of act outs on the court. God knows what would happen behind the scenes. They're finding him and all this stuff. But look where they are now. They hung in there and he accepted, you know, here's what happened. They came to him. They go, look, we got Jared Allen. We got Evan Mobley and we signed Markinen. You know, we can debate about whether the, um, whether the marketing decision was wise or not, I think it'll still to be determined. But they're like, you're not going to start. And Kevin could have pouted. And Kevin said, okay, well, here's the deal we're going to make. I will come and give it my all. But if I play well and earn the minutes, you got to play me. Do not John Wall me. Do yeah. not sit me down at the end of the bench. You got to play me. And they said, JB and Kobe said, deal. And they've kept up their end of the bargain. They played him and he's earned the minutes and he's not going to win sixth man of the year, but he'll be on balance. And that is amazing. And they've needed him, Bill, because yeah. they've had COVID and injuries. Like, well, this week is the best he's looked. I like, cause you know, they had some injuries and I actually thought he looked like Minnesota Kevin Love in the game I watched last night. There, yeah. there was like old school 2013 range Kevin Love. Yeah, so he had like a 24-point game or something. They had him out of the game at the end because, you know, he's a defensive liability. Yeah. And they were having so much trouble scoring because their, their perimeter is so depleted right now. And I was thinking to myself, and this is something I haven't said in literally years, 
they need to get Kevin Love in this game. I know. Because they need somebody who can make an outside shot. So, you know, I what mean, what you said before, it's like, and, you, and you're right, I'm not disagreeing with it. It's such like an indictment of how the league works now. And it's probably the single thing I like the least about the NBA is that Love, who's making $32 million a year, who was a problem for them the last couple of years, and then they have to like negotiate this uneasy truce for him to do his fucking job. And now kudos to him that he turned it around and that he's back to Kevin Love and he's got his spirit back. And he's, I think he's been a great teammate this whole season, but isn't that your job? You're getting paid all that money. And yes. it's like, what you're not in control of your own minutes. That's not how life works. You know, yes, but and, isn't and, that Ben Simmons job too, to come. Yeah. And play that's what I mean. Even, this is yeah. what I mean about it. This is the league now where it's like, yeah. I don't really like my situation. And now everybody's bending over backwards. Like the Simmons thing I talked about on my pod on Tuesday where, so he, he's not in the right mental health to play for Philly, but if you trade for him, he's, he's going to snap back into it. I don't, I just don't fundamentally understand that. Th this is something that they've wrestled with in the Sixers organization. How do you try to hold a guy responsible to his contract, but also be sensitive to issues he's going through? What is the line to walk? And, and how do you trade for that? If you're another team when it's like, like, so he's going to be fine with us. How do you know? Well, this is the thing. So the teams have said this, or I maybe mean, not said this, but they've said it with their offers. They're like, how do we know that if we trade for Ben, who's got all these years left on his contract, that if he doesn't like how things go here, he has a bad playoff series here, he won't do the same thing again. And the Sixers have been like, Ben, you know, by doing this, you are hurting your trade value. You are hurting your ability to get traded by doing this. Yeah. And Ben's response is, you hurt my trade value. When the coach and the best player came out and slammed me after the way I played in the playoffs last year. Oh, wait, was it even a slam? Round, but well, but was it a slam? It's like Doc Rivers, they ask him after the game, do you think he's a point guard of the future? Did he handle it wrong? Probably. But it wasn't like he's like, Simmons sucks. I don't know what we're going to do with this guy. It was, I, it was kind of like a non-supportive answer. And then Embiid, who I think is rightfully frustrated because for last year and this year, he's been one of the best players in the league. And it's like, can I get some help? I think that's fair. Larry Bird well, would have done it. Magic would have done it. Michael would have done it. Him passing up that open dunk is one of the most jaw-dropping plays I've seen in the 20 years I've covered the NBA. Like, yeah. I was watching the game live and I reached down to, I was watching it on my laptop and I reached down and hit pause and said, what did I, did I just see what I thought I saw? I, I'd never do that. <laughs> right. It's like, did I just see what I thought I saw? Uh, and I rewound it. And in, in the moment, not like in the next time out, you know, like Zach Lowe, he always watches games like yeah. two minutes behind. Like you'll be sitting next to him in the bowl and you'll be watching the game live and Zach will be sitting next to you with giant headphones on watching the game on a two-minute delay because he's making notes and stuff. Yeah. Like Zach, game right here. But anyway, I did that. And so you're right. Like Doc gave an honest answer. Now, now an old school, an, an old school guy would say to you, rule number one with every player is never, ever, ever. I don't care if they're if they're 0 for 75 and they've committed 85 turnovers, never, ever, ever say anything to devalue your players. Like that's like one of like the cardinal rules. Right. So I guess in that regard, a guy like Doc Rivers, who's been around the NBA forever, violated an old rule and he has to take his medicine. But your point is accurate. It's not like if he didn't say that, we wouldn't know the conundrum that they were in. But it is a convenient thing for Simmons and Simmons camp to point to when there's a complaint about him hurting his value, they can say, 
they can use it as a as a defense. And you know, that's why we're in the one of the reasons why we're in this conundrum. Well, it's the most unprecedented situation we've had in 40 years since Gus Williams held out for an entire season with Seattle. We've never seen a player just throw away a year. I mean, the MJ obviously did, but he I think really thought he was retiring at yeah, that point. Yeah, but he had a handful of rings at that point. Yeah, and, I mean, and he, he had already you know, won. This is like yeah. For somebody to be, at least you would think, coming close to entering their prime and thinking it's the best decision for them to just not play basketball is nuts. It's they, There's no way this is a better outcome for him to just not play, to not try to get better, to not work on stuff. It's nuts. And that's why they're saying it's a mental health thing, because you'd have to be off to not to not play. Well, and so then how does somebody trade for him then? That's exactly. Where, all right. Let's we're, take we're, we're right back where we, where we started. Same issue. Let's take a break and uh, we'll talk about the Nets quick. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that. Made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. All right, so on the Nets, the interesting thing to me with all of these Harden, did did Wendy freeze? No, I'm oh, sorry. No. Oh, sorry. Were you looking at text? I was looking at Jason Tatum tweeting out my story, to be honest with you. Oh, nice. What was your story? I had a story today on Aaron Baines, um, who... Uh, you know, a backup center in the NBA for the last decade. Yeah, he, I'm, I'm, he's, he was on my team. Yeah, of course, Celtic. He, uh, you know, got sacrificed in that weird thing, picked up his option and got traded. Um, he's playing for Team Australia last year in the Olympics. I'm in Tokyo. We were playing the Italians. It's a close game. It's like an important game for the... The Australians, like that Olympics, all those guys have been building towards for a decade to that Olympics. They thought they could beat the US. They were up 15. And then Durant was like, no, I'm still the best player here. I'm right. going to kill you. But... Broke all their hearts. But they did get a bronze medal, first medal ever. Anyway, Baines runs to the back to go to the bathroom. In this arena, it's a football arena that they turned into a basketball arena. It's empty. It was really weird. It was like 100 yards to get to the bathroom. So he goes, he, he, you know, it's a three-point game. So he's like, I got to run to get to the bathroom between the first and second, the uh, third and fourth quarters. He goes running there to get to the bathroom, slips on the floor, and hits something. He definitely hit his arm because when he came to... He's got two puncture wounds in his arm Oh, and maybe hits his head, but tries to stand up and can't use his legs and ends up afraid he's going to be paralyzed in a Japanese hospital where nobody speaks English and nobody's allowed in because it's COVID state of emergency lockdown for 10 days. And then has gone through, then went through a, a month in the hospital in Australia. His career was completely derailed. And no one had ever, he'd never told the story to anybody. He just literally disappeared. He ran to go to the bathroom in the third quarter of a game and never came back. And so I've, I've been talking to his agent, Daniel Moldovan, for a couple of months. And he said, when Aaron's ready to talk about it, he'll talk about it. So I talked to him this week. He's in Brisbane. And he just told me what he's gone through for the last six months. So that story wow. came out today. And Can't Aaron wait to is, read that. Yeah, Aaron is very, well, even though he's a quiet guy and is an Australian, you know, kind of a brute guy, kind of like Steven Adams type player. Um, a lot of people like him. And um, a lot of his former, I, I've heard from some of his former teammates and coaches have texted me and uh, Tatum, who's one of his favorite teammates ever. Tatum just tweeted about it. So 
Sorry to okay. distract you. Text Tatum back to go to the basket. Um, <laughs> all right, let's talk. Let's talk about the Nets. So, I, I think there's been a lot of smoke. I don't really believe a lot of it, but I think the interesting piece to me is this is now year three of this whole endeavor and how poorly it's gone compared to how we thought it would have gone. You know, where now I don't, I don't think they're the favorite in the East. I don't know how this Kyrie thing is going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen when Durant comes back from the knee injury and what the intel is on that. Sometimes they'll say, like with the Anthony Davis thing, he's out for a month. Then a month passes and the guy comes back. Other times you have the Zion situation where it's like, yeah, he broke his foot six to eight weeks. And it's like, nah, that doesn't smell right. And now, eerily, now we're five months quiet on Eerily quiet on Zion. Yeah, yeah. The six to eight weeks have somehow lasted a year. Yeah. Um, the KD thing, I don't know if he's going to come back healthy, but the fact that they've, they're so in flux with all their role guys is kind of the sneaky part with the Nets to me. The fact that Blake's just not good, that they whiffed on Millsap. Harris, we haven't seen. He's still hurt. Second opinion, all that Set stuff. Setback, don't tell anybody, yeah. but he's not playing. Yeah. Aldridge is the only one that's kind of come through. And then you mentioned like a couple of the rookies, Cam Thomas. They got Claxton, who they're going to have to pay, who it seems like they're already kind of moving away from. And I'm just kind of stunned that the four through 15 has been as bad as it has been for a team. What's their luxury tax this year? Like 120 million? <laughs> it's, 125? It, it, I, th- I think it's more. I don't, I wish I could tell you I would be responsible. It's if I over that. It's head. somewhere over it's 120, highest, I think. It's the highest of all time. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they just, so they missed on basically everybody, which I I think, and, or had bad luck in the case of like Joe Harris, you know, you expect him to be your, your three and a half guy, your, your fourth option who's paid kind of as a three and a half star. Um, and he just hasn't played. That's not their fault, but, um, really, really just kind of nuts how it worked out on top of all the drama. They're to me on a knife's edge. Because on one hand, Durant could come, one thing I'll say about Durant, he's had some serious injuries in his career. He's always come back great. Yeah. You know, he come back from, you know, he had the Jones fracture. You know, he had a setback. But then he was great. And he'd come back from the Achilles. Great. He had, um, you know, this MCL spring when he was with the Warriors. Came back great. Won the yep. finals MVP. Um, so he could come back and be great. And like, what if somehow Kyrie plays? You know, I was making a joke to somebody in the league the other day, a couple days ago or a week ago, like the Nets were in the second seed and the Raptors were in the seventh. And obviously, if that were to happen in April, you know, they have to get through the play-in term, whatever. But like Kyrie couldn't play any of the games because he can't play in Canada and he can't play in Brooklyn. And I was like, watch the league figure out how to play those games in Buffalo and Newark as a joke. The point is, like, I don't know. Maybe something will happen where Kyrie will be able to play. Um, and I don't Newark. think it's gonna be, I don't Newark think it's gonna would be, be a fun wrinkle. Imagine that. I mean, to be honest with you, if they did it, like, well, I think they're going to bend the rules. Well, the, here, here's the thing. Yeah, and you're not into the, as much into the football season as I've been. In the football, they just kind of gravitated toward how can we get as many of these guys in the field as we can? And yeah. now eventually, now they're just not testing unvaccinated guys at all. And I think the NBA at some point is going to nudge in the direction. They'll take the heat for one day and then ultimately yeah. it will end in the place where Kyrie plays, is my well, guess. Yeah, I mean, and Kyrie can say he's had it and I could see them like changing the rule to get people back to work who's who've had, anyway Kyrie has already bet it's cost him a lot of money but he has already wagered that he's going to win and he's already half won the bet so why would he not win the other half I mean yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying so 
Maybe Durant comes back fine. Maybe Kyrie gets to play in all the games. And maybe Harden is fine. And maybe Joe Harris is fine. Maybe they're holding the trophy. It could happen. Okay. It's not unreasonable, regardless could of the, how And could there be him. a buyout guy coming for them? Like if for they sure. dump Millsap, they dump one more guy, somebody who would be the buyout guy? Somebody. Thad Young. Say, Thad Young is suddenly on their team. Who knows? Let's say, you know, the, the Clippers are deep into the tax, and I don't know what's going to happen with Paul George and obviously Kawhi. We know what's going to happen with Paul George. Yeah. Okay. So let's say, the, the, you know, to save $40 million, the Thunder trade surgeon or the, uh, the, the Clippers trade Serge Ibaka to the Thunder, who are $20 million under the floor. And they're like, we don't need Serge Ibaka. We're, you know, we got, we got 14 rookies we're playing. Serge, yeah. thank you for coming back. Have a nice day. Oh, Serge Ibaka's a free agent. So, yeah, I mean, like, it could all work out for them. And, like, if you're Steve Nash and you're Sean Marks, and I've been around the Nets a little bit this year, like, those guys are smart guys. You think, I mean, they know. It's, it's not like they don't know what kind of hand they're holding here. They're just trying to play their way through it. So it could all work out. But, Bill, but what if this goes the other way? What if they can't play Kyrie in like half of the playoff games and they get, nine, or Durant's not 100%. And Katie has the knee soreness. Harden never loses. Or, the you know, Harden's, extra already, Harden's already got another hamstring issue. Yeah. But you know, what happens if they lose? Su- supposedly has another hamstring issue. <laughs> Harden opts out, Kyrie opts out. Yeah. And Durant what? already opted in, thinking the other two guys were joining him. And right, yeah. Well, let me ask you this: If you're Joe Sy, I mean, I know you're worth like fifty billion dollars, whatever, but you're still a businessman. Yeah. What contract are you offering Kyrie Irving? Are you offering him a five-year, two hundred and fifty million dollar contract? How can you do that? I'm going the uh, other way. I haven't said this on a pod, and I think you're probably going to agree with me. I would trade Kyrie in the next 10 days if I could get something for him. I don't think they can. I think there's teams well, that mean, would go, would go, would talk themselves into it. The problem is he can opt out. And if, it, if it's a place he doesn't want to be, he's already told two places he didn't want to be Sayonara. So I don't know how you're going to get a premium for it. I'm not saying they'll get a lot for him. But if you're like the Clippers and you are your season's going and going in a direction that I think we both agree is down. I don't think we see Paul George again this year. I really don't. And you could turn Reggie Jackson and Morris into Kyrie. And either those guys just come off your cap or you have now you're in pole position with Kyrie and Paul George and Kawhi for a year from now. I think you have to think, and I'm not reporting this. I'm just, I'm just trying to think logically. Like, who would look at Kyrie as an asset? I think the Mavs are playing so well right now that they're probably would steer away. So it's got to be a team that is either doesn't care if he plays every game this year, or you know, is trying to take advantage of Brooklyn, basically. Well, I could see something like that happening in the summer because it's just awkward. Uh, I think it's hard in the middle of the season because I think again, the Nets' best play is to just hope for. Everything to come Hope for the because, three guys, which they're yeah. saying publicly. They're, they've been pretty clear about. You know what's interesting? I was looking at FanDuel for the Eastern Conference odds. Yeah. The Nets are still the favorites. The Nets are plus 135. Milwaukee's two to one. I, I still like Milwaukee the most, but they continue to just lose to teams that you would think like, all right, when are they going to turn on the switch? When's the 15-game winning streak coming? And it just hasn't happened all season. Um, and they're then Philly's still getting some buzz. the team to beat in my view. That's how mm-hmm. I feel. And then yeah. Miami is kind of lurking as 
something. But I, I don't think from what we've seen from Lowry this year that I, I trust him for yeah. three straight I, playoff rounds. True, but you know they still have the old depot thing. I don't know what he's going to give them, but like, don't forget about him working back there. Um, I, ironically, I forgot about him until you just mentioned yeah. him. What, what right. are we seeing so like, him again? I mean, he's working out now. I mean, I, it's going to. I mean, I don't know. It around the All Star break, a little after maybe. Uh, I don't well, know then, what he'll be. The funny thing about the playoffs, the way it's shaping up, is you're going to have these nightmare six and seven seeds, potentially. Like, the Bulls might be a six seed, but then they'll our, be healthy when we get to the playoffs. Our computers, like, this is, you want to know the Cavs nightmare scenario? But the Cavs somehow get the number, because the Cavs have the third easiest schedule left. They've played yeah. a, a hard schedule. Our computers think that there's like a 20% chance that the Bulls will end up as the seven seed. Wow. Because Caruso is so great defensively that the stats, the computers, read Caruso and say, you don't have him, your defense is like 10 points worse per 100 possessions. Jesus. The computers, you know, obviously. Well, so, not- so Charlotte's four games behind them. Charlotte is now 27 and 22 and they're healthy. And that, that would be the swing team because the Celtics, do you know what the Celtics' biggest winning streak this year is? Is it three? Yeah, they've done it twice. They are a 25 and 24 team that has not won four games in a row all season. So I'm, I, I'm going to say they're going to stay around 500. You know, my, my friend Tim Bontemps lives in Boston and covers the whole Eastern Seaboard for us. And he, yeah. the thing he says about the Celtics is, why is anybody surprised? They've been a 500 team for a year and a half. Two, yeah, they basically, Grandy did something, the radio guy, Sean Grandy, who's a friend of the program. He did a thing. He does calendar years, what records are. Uh, so yeah. in 2021, there's just more games because of how they stacked the season. And I right. think the Celtics played like 103 games and they were like 57 and 56 or, or whatever. Yeah. It's, that's yeah. that's who they are. They've been that I way. That's a huge sample size. Like I thought Jason Tatum might be knocking on the door of first team All-NBA. Yeah, it's not happening. He's he, This is a valuable season for him though because... He's learning how to create, and it's going to be a couple year process for this him. Is a, you're, you're giving a very artful answer. No, uh, listen, I, nobody is more cynical on this team than me, probably right now. And I, I've actually stopped the last week. I just avoided them, and my life—I <laughs> felt like my health improved. But Tatum just—he needs to understand, like a little, like how Garland, for whatever reason, he figured it out this year, right? He's figured out how to navigate a game how to take yeah. over when they need him, how yeah, to get the has. shots that he needs to get, but also keep everyone else involved. Jaws known how to do that instinctively since he got in the league, but you see it this year, like he could drop 41 last night, but there's other games where he'll lay back and let other guys do it. That's what Tatum needs Did to do. Did you like how, how Ja ripped ESPN after that game? Because ESPN had that, um, had the, the Memphis Spurs game on TV and then they, oh, and they moved it, it right? Yeah. They flexed it out to Miami, New York. Yeah. And Josh scored 41, had like another great game. And then after the game, mentioned it in his post-game presser and tweeted about it. <laughs> right. I, I, love, I love it. Um, By the way, that was a mistake. I would, I think any real basketball fan would rather watch Memphis and the Spurs and Murray I, going against Josh. Yeah. I just think that's a I mean, better I, game. As you know, there's big giant things that can I get that it. way over, way over our head. But, I get it. Um, I, just Boston. I, I, I don't want to talk about I, Boston. I'm, no, I'm that, let, don't do it to me. All right, I am sorry, too. Sorry, I'm a, I'm 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 there with you. Would on you, Tatum. Would you pay Garland the max 
he's eligible for an extension this offseason. Would you pay him the max? I Yes. Yeah, I, I think they have to. My thing with them, with Garland and Mobley, protect at all costs. I yeah. want those two guys together for the next 12 years. I feel yeah. the same way about Brown and Tatum. Like, I, I'm not willing to give up on Brown and Tatum when all we've done for five years is seen them with shoot first point no, guards and you, Marcus Smart. We don't know what Bill, they would look like with a real point guard. And this is the thing the Sixers did. They're like, we're going to exhaust every option with Simmons and Embiid before we break them up. And then Simmons pulled the pin first. But, yeah, you know, you have to do that. And, you know, in the situation with Garland, like, this is, <laughs> there's a GM that I know who he calls the, the first max contract. Uh, and I've just, he could never say it publicly because we, we look bad. But so I just co opted, I just stole it from him. He calls it the fun max mm. because, the players are younger, even though it's a lot of money. It's like way cheaper. Like, you know, like Westbrook's getting mid forties. Right. The the max for a guy who's in his fourth year is like thirty three. So it's cheaper, quote yeah. unquote. Fun max. Um, the players are younger. They don't. It's like a no brainer. They don't want to get traded yet. They're still, for the most part, they still want to be there. The first max is the fun max. So, you know, this unless is, this is unless a you're, unless you're giving it to Zion. Oh, boy. And you have no idea if he's ever going to play. Kyle, turn the camera on. I have a question for Winhorst. Garland and Mobley, next 10 years, is there any duo on the same team you would rather have? So your choices would be Luca and anybody. Yeah. Giannis and anybody. So I, let's say Giannis and Drew, although I don't think Drew's going to play for the next 10 years. No. Um, Tatum and Brown. Then you could go... I guess Embiid and anybody, that that would probably be a poor choice. Ja and Triple J, you could have them. You could yeah. have uh you could have Aiton and Bridges, or you could have Curry and Kaminga. But just Booker, those, those, Booker, or you, Booker, Booker and Aiton. Oh, Booker and Aiton. Or yeah. I'll give you Jokic and Murray. Where do <sighs> Mobley and Garland rank for you in that group? Because for here, me, they're climbing the ladder. Here's the thing. I love Ja, but I'm terrified of the way he plays. Me too. I've, I've, I feel he, bad. He, I've said it on pods. I feel bad saying it, but I, he, I he's I, reckless. He makes me nervous. This is a conversation I have now that I'm in my, my early forties that I would never have in my mid twenties because I was like, what are you talking about? The, he, he scored 41 last night. He'll score 41 tomorrow night. I've just seen too much now. I'm but we, I'm, we saw it with Rose and Westbrook. We had the same fears in the beginning of the 2010s with those guys, with how they played Westbrook. It never really mattered. He only got hurt once. But Rose, you know, R Rose played that way every game and eventually it caught him. I'm I'm tempted to say Jokic and whoever because I just think Jokic is a horse, mm. literally, who could play till he's 45. Like, Jokic, like, if, like if you were going to buy shares, like, if players, you know, I know that, like, Spencer Dinwiddie messed around with this, but if, 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 if players were to sell shares in their, like, earnings, um, like, I would buy shares in Luka because Luka will make hundreds, I assume hundreds and hundreds. I mean, he's he's already got a super max at age like 22. Right. He will make hundreds and hundreds of millions. Jokic <laughs> is going to Jokic is going to sign a super max this summer. He's like, what, 26, 27? Yeah, 26. Why? Like, if he wants to play, why could he not play this exact same way when he's 38? Why? He might even I mean, be better when he's 38. I think Giannis is going to age similarly, spectacularly. Uh, but, but, but Jokic is so skilled. No, I'm with you because it, uh, it's basically it's the Larry Bird scenario that's haunted the Celtics fans for most of my life where we had this guy who was going to age into this awesome 
mid late thirties player, right? But his body didn't hold up. He had t- too much damage, and he really yeah. was only able to play nine years. Jokic, you're right. He's just like that that Jeep in the driveway. That's like there's that thing have two hundred eighty thousand miles on it. Yeah, it's fine. Want to go cross country? Yeah, that, there's no reason he would get hurt unless it was a fluke. Like, and even if he, I'm did gonna get knock hurt, on wood. I'm not gonna wood. Well, even if let's say he did get hurt, let's say he had a he like lost due to the injury. Like, was he gonna slow down? All right, so your answer is Jokic. I, Jokic and Murray is a good. Jokic and Murray is a good one. Jokic and Murray, or Jokic or whoever they get in there, just because. I mean, I know that doesn't. It's not answering the fun question, but I'm answering it more analytically. I guess the bigger thing for me is Garland and Mobley are in the conversation now, and yeah, the odds of that in even November, I think would have you'd have been like Garland, but I, I think I think it's legit. I think he's like legitimately a potential All NBA guard. I could say some things about Mobley that end up getting me in trouble because of how bright I think his future is. You mm. were talking about that game in LA. He played, I want to say mid-November, he played a game in, at the Garden back when we thought the Knicks were still going to be good. I watched it. And he did like seven things on offense. Like he like pick and roll as the roll man, pick and roll as the passer, like through like a diagonal bounce pass, offensive rebound, put back, pass. Like he did like eight things on offense. I was just like, oh my God. And he's really not that involved with their offense. He's not. It's going to take some time for them to figure out how to use him and for him to develop his skills. And by the way, he's got a worker mindset. This is one of the things that J.B. Bickerstaff was telling me. You know, his dad's a coach, right? His dad, you know, uh, USC smartly hired his dad to be an assistant. And they got him and his brother. His brother's at USC now, probably has a good chance to play in the NBA. The Cavs should draft him. If it increases their chances, um, the Cavs should draft him. Uh, they're keeping uh, Mobley. Um, but sometimes you get these coaches, kids, who like, you know, their dad gets a job and it's like, it's not a good situation. It's indicative of a guy who just puts whatever he wants. And sometimes you get these coaches, kids, who are the gym rats, the guys who want to work on their game, who are very coachable because that's how they've been raised. And so I asked JB, not knowing nothing about Evan's dad. I haven't done no research. I just said, JB, what kind of kid is he? He goes, no, no. He wants to be coached. His dad knows the game. His dad, you know, yeah, he got the job, I'm sure, because of his son. He's like, his dad is an excellent coach. He raised a kid who wants to be coachable. And like, they knew they were taking Mobley no matter what. Yeah. And they went and did their background on him. And every step of the way, their background, I mean, they'd already watched him play a lot. They knew they were going to have a high pick. It wasn't like they didn't know, but their background on him was like gold. And so they were like, did we just, did we just luck into a guy that we would have taken first overall? We think we did. Should we say anything about it? I don't know. Like, they and meanwhile, thought, and Presti's calling them going, what about number six and four <laughs> first round picks? They're like, no, no, we're cool. We're yeah, cool. I mean, like, Thanks, Sam. Yeah. What would you, what would you trade? Like, is there, how many players would you trade Mobley for? No, right it's, now? he's, if I did the trade value again, if my fingers ever yeah. started working, he would, be, he would have to be in the top six. He'd have to. There's I mean, no scenario where he's not. Because you know, I mean, what you said about the coachability and the intellect, like the closest parallel to that, and you can see it just the way he, his feel for the game is very Duncan-ish. Like when Duncan came into the league that first year, and he had been in college four years, but he just had yeah. it. And the way he moved and how he read things and how fun he was to play with. So he's got that. But he reminds me as a basketball player more of KG. And I said that after I watched him 
for two weeks. I was like, this guy is very KG-ish. Like we, you have to be prepared that this KG thing is happening again. He's like a hybrid of KG because of his defense and Bosch. Because Yo, that's got, good. Yeah, I like that. He's got some skill. And people have com- actually, people have compared him to Duncan and it's such a taboo thing. Like, oh my God, how can you talk about Tim Duncan on a guy who's played, you know, 40 games? But Duncan's first year, he had Robinson, remember? And Robinson enabled him, enabled Pop to, to really give, put Duncan in a position to be successful. I know it's not apples to apples, but having Allen, yeah. especially because, because Mobley is, is a little undersized in terms of bulk, they let Allen soak up a lot of the, the tough stuff to, to, to be able to put Mobley in a better position to succeed. It's well, not an outrageous comparison. I don't, I don't think at this point, the fact that they're winning puts it on the table that he's, we get, we are allowed to compare in McGarnett and Duncan in real ways now. And I think with the Garnett thing, especially when Garnett was younger, those first couple of Minnesota years, he was guarding everybody. He, I mean, he was like, he was probably 20 pounds lighter than he ended up being like in the Boston years. And he could, he, he just was so athletic. That was the thing that jumped out. It's like, Jesus Christ, he can guard guards. And that's how I feel about mobile. All right, before we go, quick question. Yeah. Um, last question. Does Simmons get traded before the deadline in 30 seconds? What's your answer? Man, like I have no clue how to read what Daryl is doing. He gave an interview on WIP in Philadelphia last week. Did you read about it or hear it? I heard about it. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, Daryl really well. Like whenever Daryl says something, I know that he's got 15 things moving. Yeah. It's very hard for me to read stuff. I'm talking to teams that are, talking to the Sixers and they're like, some of these, some of these trade things that he's asking for, like, we don't even know what to say. We like, is he, is he offering something that he knows we won't take is like, nobody even knows. So to me, the wild card and the entire thing is Josh Harris because Josh Harris, the owner, he is paying the luxury tax on this team. He is watching Embiid dominate. Like, Philadelphia has had some incredible players in their history. Wilt, AI, Barkley. Embiid's season up there, like, <laughs> statistically adjusted compared to some of Chamberlain's stuff is like yeah. one of the great seasons in Philadelphia history. Right. They're the per sitting, 36 is nuts. They're sitting in sixth place. Yeah. So, is Josh Harris content to go through a season and have his team president not execute a trade. Because um, remember, Josh Harris had Sam Hinkie's back until he did. And also, if you want to have some fun in terms of billionaire games, Google Josh Harris right now, what's going on elsewhere. <laughs> Let's just say it's interesting. Um, mm. it's, uh, it's like mm. uh, you could make a movie out of it between him and Leon Black, his former partner at Apollo Global Management. Um, yeah. There's been some... If 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 the Wall Street Journal had a page six, Josh Harris and Leon Black would be on it every day for the last week. So I'm watching that very closely. I love when you uh, go. I, I love when you talk about being billionaires. No, it's this do, is good do, stuff. Do you want me to tell you real quick? Or do no, you, no, you we have enough time. Yeah, okay, people good. should Google it. Go- Google it. Um, quickly on this, and then we really have to go. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that Josh Harris is the wild card. Yeah. I think Embiid's the wild card. Maybe. Because... Um, what a, Embiid, who I think has reached a Q rating in Philly, 
unlike any basketball player they've had since Iverson. Like that's, I, I don't even think that's a controversial statement. What happens if he's like, hey man, I'm killing myself right now. I'm playing the best I've ever played and our second best player isn't here and doesn't want to be here. Are we going to resolve this? Because I think we have a chance to win the title. We're just going to get nothing for that asset. Either yeah. trade Ben or he's got to come back, but this sucks. Do something. Yeah. And he hasn't done that yet. He's been very careful. So far, he's been publicly supportive of Daryl. And as far as I know, he and Daryl have been on the same page about this for a long time. But yeah. it's January 20-whatever. It's not February 8th, 9th, 10th. Hmm. So I know this. Joel Embiid is not playing this way to be in sixth place. Mm. That's, you know, that's pretty obvious. We'll see what happens. Brian Windhorst, yeah. a pleasure to see you as Thanks, always. Bill. We can listen yep. to you on the Hoop Collective. We can watch you on uh, on ESPN, on all the channels, and we can After read you on ESPN.com. Right now, it's football, football, yeah, it's football almost and I get it. I get it. Okay. All right. Good to see all you. Right. Thank you. Take care. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, Peter Schrager is here. We do million dollar picks every week. We only have two weeks left. Kind of sad. On the other hand, uh, two great games that I'm excited about that I have strong opinions about that we're going to talk about later when we do million dollar picks. You did on the Flying Coach podcast with McVeigh. You had Shanahan on, and it was amazing. We re- we ran some reran. I can't speak. We reran some of the stuff from that podcast this week on the Ringer and, and the Big Brother Little Brother relationship they have, and it really came out. It's it was really one of the best pods we did last year, and now they're playing each other for the third time. The consensus is Shanahan has McVeigh's number. And yet the Rams are favored by three and a half. I, I think people are leaning toward the Rams a little bit in general, and mostly Jimmy G related. But uh, the relationship from these guys, what happens with them the week leading up to the game? Do they talk? Do they pretend they don't know each other? What is it? Yeah, they're not talking. Not talking this week. Uh, it was McVeigh's birthday earlier this week. And I, you know, I texted him like, happy birthday, whatever. I'm like, have you heard from Kyle? He's like, no, I have not heard from Kyle. So I, I don't think uh, they're talking this week. You nailed it with the big brother, little brother. And I think Sean would bristle at that because they're not family necessarily, but six years older than him is Kyle Shanahan. And for three years, he was Sean's boss. And, and you could say, well, there was a different head coach. It was, it was, no, it was in those rooms. It was Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator. And McVeigh started off as the assistant tight ends coach then became the tight ends coach. And he learned a lot from how Kyle does things. And he has the utmost respect for Kyle. A lot of your listeners will cringe when I talk about like my place in that relationship. It's a minuscule place. But at the owners meetings every year when he used to be in person, I would grab lunch with the two of them together because I've gotten to know them really well. And the dynamic is like, they love each other, but there's a lot of ball busting. And at the end of the day, Kyle is like walking away and probably feeling like, all right, Sean's the boy wonder but I've kind of got my uh, my confidence in what I can do. And over the field over the last three seasons, six and oh, it eats at Sean. Of course it eats at Sean. And when you're up 17 nothing in the second quarter on a third and two and you go to the empty shotgun, you could, I mean, because that's the thing, they could have put the Niners away. This, they they would have been eliminated. Instead, they go shotgun, Stafford gets sacked. 
Niners get the ball back at the end of the half, they kick a field goal, and then they get the ball back score again. That game went so many ways wrong for the Rams when early on McVay's running on the field to hug receivers and Tyler Higby, the tight end. Um, but that relationship, it's so intertwined. It's not just, you know, through Kyle and through Sean, but you go through, uh, you know, Sean's defensive coordinator is Raheem Morris. He was the defensive backs coach for those teams uh, in Washington when they were all together. Kyle's offensive coordinator is Mike McDaniel. He's in that whole world. He's been with those guys both before. Um, and then, of course, you go through all the different players and how they've all intersected playing each other two times a year over the last three years. Yeah. Six wins in a row. And it's real as far as that dynamic goes. And I, I did the research and I looked in. I'm like, has there been other coaches that have like just owned other coaches and never as close personally as these two are? But you know, Jeff Fisher had lost to Brian Billick five years in a row. And then mm. finally in the 2003 playoffs in a wild card round, Eddie George and Steve McNair finally beat Ray Lewis. Like finally. And it, and they don't hear that anymore. It's never like, well, Brian Billick always owned Jeff because it's over. Like in the big game, they did it. Um, and then the other one is Bill Cower, oddly enough, used to always beat Belichick when Belichick was with the Browns, Cower yeah. with the Steelers. And it took until that 2001 divisional round game where Bledsoe comes in off the bench and hits the touchdown and and they go into Pittsburgh and win where finally Belichick got the best of Cower. But like it's very, very small, small sample size of six games and then facing off in the playoffs. Hmm. It. I look back at that Week 18 game and to me, it makes me want to pick the Niners more, which we'll get to later because I feel like the Rams won that game. They want it if they if they just go into halftime at 17 nothing and don't fuck up the last two minutes. But they fucked it up and they gave the ball back and the Niners were able to get that little field goal. Then all of a sudden they had the ball start of the second half and it's 17-10. But then the end of the game where the Niners have to punt, their kicker is punting out of his own Punters end zone, out. Yep. which was seemed kind of controversial as it was happening. Like, why are they doing this? And then the Rams can't put them away again. But, you know, Ben Solak wrote a really good piece for The Ringer this week about those two offenses and how they've evolved and how they've had to keep adding as the defenses kept scheming against each of them and trying to figure out, oh, you guys look to do this, so we're going to take this away. And both of them, I think, are in a pretty precarious place in this game where the Rams can't really run the ball, right? And you think like, oh, Akers, this is it. Here we go. He fumbled twice. Like he, he those fumbles he's averaging. Were, He's averaging 2.7 yards per carry in these yeah. two games. And Tampa swallowed him up. And now we know this Niners run defense is incredible. But then on the flip side, Jimmy G, who was taking a beating all week to the point that Debo Samuel like did a tweet defending him this morning. Like, keep coming at my quarterback. Like, like he did one of those. So you have these two teams that have these warts. And depending on how you feel about the game, you could seize on either wart. You could just be like, no, Jimmy G's not winning three road playoff games in a row. I'm not betting on that taking the Rams. This is, I think Joe House is going to be on that side when he does the gambling show on Friday. It's like, how many actual drives have the Niners put together? He's going to do this whole thing. Fuck you, yeah. House. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, the Rams, the Rams can take a lead and just blow it. We've seen it's, them do it twice in three weeks. Happened twice in three weeks. You're right. And everything went wrong for the Rams. And it was like, you felt Brady's presence. And even... Odell in the post game is being interviewed by Catherine Tappan and he's like, I, I saw the goat on the other sideline, which like you're kind of showing your cards that like 
you knew that this was unraveling, and then the center snapping. Yeah, did the, ball the goat? Did the goat make Cam Akers fumble right I know, before the half? Like, like or, no, or Cooper Cup, who never fumbles. Yeah, fumbles or Mike Evans burning Jalen Ramsey just on a straight go route, like killing him. Things. What about weird. the snap over Stafford's head? I know Brian Allen, who's a really good center, just snaps it over his head. Really weird things were happening, and you felt it. Now, I I was talking with Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football today. We're like, what's the better? storyline quarterback wise and I would love your thought on this because you love big picture is it the Jimmy G hey F you you guys can trade three first round picks and I'm not going to win but I'm not going to win pretty but we're going to win games or is it Stafford who Bill I was going through it and I, I I really lean on you for this Oscar Robertson is who I thought of like years in in you know playing for the for the Royals and then finally gets to Milwaukee and finally wins when he gets surrounded by the right guys. Gary Carter was with the Expos, goes to the Mets and finally wins. And then to you, I get, you know, Kevin Garnett in Minnesota, then finally gets to, to Boston. But like that's Stafford, 12 years of being really good and just never having a shot of actually doing anything. And then finally, finally gets the right pieces, finally the right situation. And in the biggest moment of this guy's career, finally, his first opportunity to do any big moment there was the perfect pass to Cooper Cup. I thought it was awesome. It was like slaying a dragon, throwing off the monkey, whatever you want. And yet people are still resistant to like wrap their arms around Stafford. I'm like, this is a pretty good story. The guy's been a really good dude and a great ambassador for the sport over the last 13 years. Finally has an opportunity to actually do something. I'd like to apologize to Oscar Robertson and his family that you just compared Matt Stafford to. Well, come on. <laughs> the triple double. I, Oscar Robertson is one of the, like, the 12 best players ever. Couldn't win the big one. I would say to me, it's more of like a poor man's KG situation. Okay. Because I think that you could, the Minnesota Timberwolves in the uh, mid, late 2000s yeah. and and just same kind of snake bit thing. Yeah, they but, only really had one year where they ever even went anywhere in the playoffs. And they had Fred Hoiberg at the two guard, if I'm not mistaken. Terrible, yeah. Terribly run, weird ownership. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was as good as a football player as KG was as a basketball player, but I think that's a good parallel. KG goes to Boston, loaded team, bunch of all-stars. Yes. A lot of pressure. Um, They kind of almost cave a couple times. Yep, same here. Yeah, and we saw that with that. I guess the thing for me with the Rams, they're, they're, they're laying three and a half points. To me, this is like, I think these teams are even, and I actually think the Niners might be I'm going to say a whiff more talented just the way their defense is playing and the game breakers they have offensively. I just like their team more. I've, I've felt that way for weeks, so so it's not, not anything new. So you would say, well, the Rams are home. <laughs> I don't know what that's going to mean in this game. Like, And I know they've tried to curb some of the ticket stuff, but I also know between the Bay Area, which is an hour flight away, and then there's a lot of Silicon Valley people that live here. There's just decades and decades of Niners fans everywhere, which you guys tapped into with all the Cowboys Niners stuff you did on your show that week. Um, there's just way more Niners fans. It's not close. There's not a ton of Rams fans here. The prices are way up. And I think it's going to be 50-50 from a crowd standpoint. I think it's going to feel way more like a soccer game than a football game. So to me, the line should be like Rams by one max. And it's Rams by three and a half. And I, I think it goes back to Jimmy G. I just think people, they, those, the last few weeks are in their heads with him of like, he's going to throw the terrible interception, the fluttering out passes that always seem like they're about to be picked and people are afraid to take them. And then they're down 17, nothing again. And now he's not bringing them back. I get it, but I think they're better. 
the crowd thing, let's get into it a little bit. So they had that game and like, I talked to all these, you know, teams and they're usually very defensive of that. The Rams to a man are like, and it was all red. It was all 49ers fans. Like that can't happen again. And so Kelly Stafford, Matthew's wife came out and said that, you know, Matthew had to go to the silent count at home, which is a, is like the most damning thing you could ever hear for a fan base that he, they, they couldn't hear anything because of how loud it was it's with brutal. Niners fans. So then the next week, the Cardinals come in on a Monday night football, totally different fan base. I get it. But that Rams crowd showed up and yeah. there was like optimism, like, all right, LA, they might not come out for a week 18 game, but playoffs, we need celebrities. Like that's the right. wrong. That's the wrong take. The Cardinals just don't have fans. They don't like have that. the fans. I know. Yeah. So then, so then the thought is this week. What do you do? So they did the thing with the tickets. That's all real. And then they pulled that, and it, they were only selling people with the Los Angeles zip code, which was, uh, I don't know, it, whether it's art of war and it's just like, hey, survival of the fittest. Like we don't care if you don't like it. Like we're trying to do everything we can. To, By the way, to a lot it. of teams do that. They're not and the yeah, first. That's team. the other part yeah. I was going to say. Like a lot of teams do that. You just don't yeah. know it, and it's not publicized. The second part of it is. I saw Stafford's wife said they're going to buy up a bunch of tickets and give them to Rams fans. I think Andrew Whitworth's going to do the same thing. Like this sounds pathetic. It sounds desperate. It's a, they know they're a game away from the Super Bowl. They want to go to the Super Bowl. And that makes a major impact if you have zero home field advantage and if your entire stadium is covered in red because those Niners fans will invade that place. And they're not a friendly group. They're not a, you know, Packers fan base where it's like, oh, it's cool you made the trip. No, no, no. They're there to win and they're savages. So this this Niners team has been to 17 different conference championship games. They are one of the most successful franchises. And they're going up against a team in a market that just hasn't had that same sort of roots. And it's just going to be a true fact. You're going to look at that game. Aikman and Buck are going to come out. It's a good chance. It's a lot more red than yellow and blue. Also, an impressive franchise with how they were able to reinvent themselves even over the course of the last 12 years. Because you think they had that one run where they could never, Seattle ended up being the one from the conference that won the Super Bowl. But they were in that mix there for three, four years. Yep. And they were one of the best teams and, you know, Kaepernick, all that stuff. And then that that goes down. Then they reinvent themselves again. And it's like now they have a chance to two Super Bowls in three years, which ain't nothing. And they also have, I I think from a talent standpoint, just a lot of blue chippers who are, Arrow pointing up, Tough. not arrow pointing down. Yeah, um, five conference championships in eleven years. I think a lot of uh, it's impressive championship, uh, conference championship games. I think a lot of people would sign up for that. And Jed York, who was in his early thirties when he took over, and it was you know widely parodied during the Harbaugh stuff at the end, and then they went to Tom Sula and Chip Kelly. Was there were some real some real valleys there, but. The hire of John Lynch was was considered comical by, pe by football people. It's turned out okay. They've had multiple different people in their front office poached by other teams because they're that good, um, including the Vikings' new general manager who was yep. with the Niners for several years. But I, I would also say this with their with their acquisitions. Like, forever, they were the ones linked to Odell Beckham. Forever, they were the ones linked to Antonio Brown. And they resisted. They kind of like just went with their own way and... They've drafted Kittle in the fifth round and they drafted Debo in the second round. And the trades they've made, Jimmy Garoppolo, successful. Uh, you look at Trent Williams, successful. And then I, I think, you know, an underrated acquisition was they signed a fullback for huge money in Kyle Juszczyk a few years ago where no one else uses a fullback. And to Solak's article, which I thought was great, Kyle Juszczyk 
is a fullback and he is used as a fullback in 2022. And yeah. he is maybe the unicorn of that position. And he was given the ball in a lot of key positions and key spots during this season. So I love the way they built their team. It's a lot of guys that they drafted themselves. Fred Warner, Bosa, all of them are Niners. And then the acquisitions they did make were huge swings and they usually hit. They got really lucky with the Bosa thing because when they finally bought him out, in the 2019 draft, Kyler goes first, their division ri rival, Arizona. And Nick Bosa second, which I think everybody thought that was the right pick. But just to have either Bosa in this day and age, I've been meaning to ask you this. Every time I watch a football game now, everyone talks about how important it is to be able to rush for, be able to drop back. And it's like this recurring theme in every game. I went, well, if you can rush four, if you just get pressure with four, then that open... So why doesn't every team just try to rush forward? Yeah, it's a great strategy, like, right? I, it seems like it works. It seems like that's, if you had that, you're good to go. Even like freaking Vegas had that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Bosa, I think in general, you see in that draft, like Bosa was two, Devin White was five, Josh Allen was seventh, the defensive Josh Allen. But in general, like I wonder if there's going to be more of a premium on these guys. We see in this draft that's coming up this year, there's a few of those guys. And mm -hmm. I wonder if that model of like, we just need to have a good defensive line. I wonder if that's going to be like the new trend. Yeah, I mean, quarterbacks and pass rushers. And if you can get a left tackle that you could plug in there for the next 15 years, like those are what, yeah, that's why you don't see receivers going in like the top three. And that's also why the Saquon pick even then was, was such a head-scratching decision for the Giants mm -hmm. because you had Chubb who hasn't really developed as like a superstar, but is still a very good pass rusher. And then you had Quentin Nelson at an offensive guard position. And then of course, Josh Allen after that, the other Josh Allen, the Bills one, but Giants fans still bang their heads against the table that how could we let, you know, a great offensive lineman or a great pass rusher go for a running back? Um, that's well, you also you just could have done the trade down that the Colts did. Yeah. And loaded up on all With those picks. Yeah. Are are Giants fans, have they reached a point emotionally where they've allowed themselves to think about the that they could have taken Josh Allen with the second pick? I still think like Barku is the right pick because they took him over Sam Darnold, but no, was Josh, Josh Allen, Allen even the mix for the Giants yes. back then? Yes. And, you know, Joe Shane was just hired by the Giants. He's the Bills GM. And I remember back at that draft and I remember the morning of the draft, Josh Allen had a tweet and everyone, you know, it was like, this is when was he, when did he tweet this? What's the tweet? Oh, and the high school tweets. Yeah. yeah I remember and I that. Remember calling Brandon Bean, the general manager that morning. And I'm like, is he off your board? And he's like, off our board. No, Josh is a great kid. We've had him here. We addressed the tweets ourselves. We saw it before everyone did. Of course, we've done our research. And I think, if I recall correctly, he had Josh Allen ranked above Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, wow. all those guys. And it's like, it, they, it wasn't a slam dunk that it was Baker or Darnold. A lot of teams liked Josh Allen. It's just that he slipped all the way down to seven. I put on Instagram a photo of me and Josh Allen because I was at the Masters that year and we went to the CAA party. And I think that was probably maybe two weeks before the draft. Yeah. But at that party, everyone thought Josh Allen was going first. Remember that? Uh -huh. It was the was first a lot 10 of hype. days of April. It was like, Josh Allen's going him. to Cleveland. They're taking him. And when we met him, I was like, God, this guy's going to be the first pick. That's so cool. And then he fell all the way to seven. Did, Never know the draft. What'd you make of him then? Because his personality is, and we're getting to know him a lot better now, like they all say there that he's goofy. He's like a little like quirky and like not like this alpha, like... He's the man, but he's also like self-deprecating, likes to likes to fuck around. Like, what was he like then coming into the NFL? Did he give you that side of him or was he like super guarded? So we did a bunch of podcasts when we were at the Masters and we talked about hanging out with Josh Allen because we liked him. 
yeah. we were like, we were like, kind of see it. And it's weird because, and I, and there's a whole theory on this that I'm sure you've heard people talk about, about just hanging with quarterbacks, yes. like what you have to look for. First of all, he's, he's obviously huge. He was like six, five, but he just had a charisma to him and you could see it. And it was like, all right, I can see that guy in a huddle with two minutes left and oh, 70,000 were in crack. Cause there's been other people. I remember, I, I don't want to be mean. There was this one quarterback from the 2000s and okay. some of my friends were like, you ever hang out with that guy? He's a dork. Yeah. And it made total sense that his career sucked as a quarterback. But I think I actually think it's a quality Jimmy has. I think it's his number one best quality as a quarterback. You, you, you is see it. He has real charisma. And I think his teammates like him and respond to him. him. You saw, and not only did Debo come out, but like Richard Sherman came out and he's on the Buccaneers and he's like, you don't get it. Jimmy's the man. Like they love yeah. Jimmy because even when this whole thing happened, Jimmy's confidence didn't like he's completely above it. They trade for Trey Lance. You know what he did when they traded for Trey Lance? He texted Trey Lance, welcome aboard, buddy. Can't wait to get started. Like take that and then compare it to what Rogers did, where maybe he was a little warmer to love personally, but just publicly it was what it was. Um, I just don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's phased by anything. So when well, he goes into Lambeau, he's like, all right, I'm going to throw three shitty passes that are wobbling ducks, but they didn't get picked and we won. So what are you going to do about it? You know, and I like that quality. You know who else got it with Jimmy? It was Tom Brady. Yeah. He got he's it, on yeah. his corner in a real way from the get-go. He's, I think that was a real issue. Like he saw how his teammates responded to Jimmy. They loved him in New England. Loved yeah, and it him was like, oh, this England. is guys in my corner. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the parallels between the 07 Giants, one of your favorite teams, yeah. and the 2021 slash 22 Niners. It's hard to deny this Niners 2007 Giants thing. I did some, uh, did some work. I went back. I went over that Giants season that I know you remember well. And the parallels. So Giants on the road that whole time. Punishing front four, which I think we've really seen with the Niners. Couple of really high-end playmakers. A frustratingly decent QB. Is yeah. that fair for Eli? Is that a fair way to assess Eli in 2007? Yes. Frustratingly because, decent. I mean, if the Giants fans are listening, you have to just think back to Thanksgiving weekend against the Vikings, where I think he threw three interceptions at home and it was like he couldn't throw in the wind. And it's like, what a, this is this the guy? Yes. That was how Eli was that season. Yes. Tough as shit team. That team was 10 and 6, but had that famous week 17 Pats game when they was like, holy shit, they're going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Pats. And this is the big quality, other than everything I just mentioned. But this one I think is a really important quality with the Niners. A big drive every time they actually need one. Mm -hmm. No matter how they look for the rest of the game, I think when they actually really need a drive, they've shown over and over again they can get it. And I really value that. Like even that Lambo game, right? Like Rogers choke job. Three like and out. Flat out choke job. Two three and outs in a row. Right. When he had a chance to put the game away. The we have the uh the the block punt as well. But the Niners got the ball back. They still had to get some first downs and move Kittle, the ball close enough and 11. to get Debo handoff third and seven. Like it's the kind of it's the kind of team I just like betting on, and I, I've liked them for six, seven weeks. It's just my kind of team. They can they can play in a dome. They can play in zero degree weather. They can win a 17-14 game. I feel like if they had to, they could win a thirty to twenty seven game. Where you're like, how do they get to thirty points? And it reminds me of that annoying Giants team. That Giants team they beat Tampa twenty four fourteen. 
The they, Dallas game was crazy. They in went Dallas. in Dallas 21-17, which if you look at the stats and if you remember what happened, it was unclear how they were winning it as they were winning it. At, at the end of the half, Eli had an amazing drive at the end of the half. Yep. And it was like, the Giants are in this game. And then that's and then the, another that's, amazing drive at the end of the fourth quarter. Marion yep. Barber, I think, rushed for like 130 that game or something. That's, the, that's they, my quarterback game with T.O. crying afterwards because they couldn't get the job done. Then uh, they win in Lambeau which a game that popped up last week, overtime, 23-20, freezing weather. Um, and then they beat the Pats 17-14. Just close games, tough pedigree, a quarterback that's a heart attack half the time, but just over and over again seems to make plays. And the team really seems to believe in him for whatever reason. And I think they remind me of them. What do you think? I think it's a great comparison. And that team won, obviously, three road games and made the trip. And they were coached by a coach. Tom Coughlin, who didn't suffer any fools, looked across the sidelines, you know, and saw, all right, John Gruden, I can outcoach John Gruden. Saw Wade Phillips, I can outcoach Wade Phillips. All right, Mike McCarthy, I can outcoach him. And then it went up against Belichick and was not scared to throw punches in that game. You've yeah. watched that game a million times. The Giants did not back down. They rushed all those guys. And it wasn't just OC and Tuck and Strahan. You had Jay Alford breathing down his neck. You had Dave Tollefson breathing down his neck. That's what this Niners team is. They have guys that you're watching, you're like, I don't know who that is. I don't know right. that guy. Like, And he just made an amazing play. Why is he not on my team? Like, who is that big 92 that's going around? It's not just Armstead. It's just, it's not just Bosa. They have a ton of guys. And then in the middle of that giant, we're really going deep. The Giants team, you know, they had Antonio Pierce, you know, making plays all over the place. That's Fred Warner. Fred Warner, where Antonio Pierce caused a huge fumble in that NFC Championship game. Fred Warner sees Mercedes Lewis have the ball and he's like, all right, Mercedes Lewis is getting, I'm knocking that ball loose. Like, that's opportunistic. I I love this Niners team. Love this Niners team. I just don't know if this is the end of the road, if they have just too much banged up players and it's been too many games, one after one after another, to pull one more of these out. So it's like a, it's a fourth straight playoff game for them, basically, it dating is. back to the Week 18. So yeah. from a health standpoint, Trent Williams banged up, but he's playing. Um, Jimmy G, probably the healthiest he's going to be in a few weeks because... The shoulder will be a little better. He's going to be in a dome. He doesn't have to worry about the freezing cold, things like that. But he's not 100%. What about Debo? Debo, we saw him on the sidelines in that giant overcoat. And you're like, oh, he's in the parka. He's not coming back. And then he makes that amazing play. He's apparently good to go. But like you saw at the end of that game, that game was punishing. Yeah, it him. was. I mean, you saw Fred Warner's playing you know, injured, finds a way to get it done. Bosa coming off the concussion. There's a lot of... And I don't want to say that these guys aren't going to be 100%. I don't know their status. They'll find a way to play, no doubt. Those guys are too tough not to. But it has been a grind for this team. And I'm just not sure that they can score enough to keep up with this Rams team on Sunday. Eight days rest, not seven. So Niners run D, which I think is an important piece of this. Going back to week 10 Rams, 10 carries, 52 yards, the Rams had. They play the Bengals, 26 carries, 86 yards. Played the Titans on that Thursday night, 24 for 90. Packers uh, last week, 20 for 67. Cowboys, 21 for 77. And then you have this Rams team. I don't know how they trust Akers in this game. Two fumbles, that puts you on the no trust list for me. And both times just didn't protect the ball, especially the second time was inexcusable. And then Sony's the backup. Very familiar with his work. I just don't think they'd be able to run the ball at all on them. And, and it not. makes me nervous taking teams who can't run the ball in physical, tough playoff games. 
it's going to be a clash of styles. And again, to reference Ben Solak's article, these two teams came in with the same kind of offenses in 2017. They couldn't be more divergent offenses now. The Niners want to run the ball down your throat and Jimmy will have to make one or two big plays a game for them to win. It's all on Stafford in LA and it's all on finding Cup and finding Odell and finding Higby. The run sets up the pass. And I think, I mean, I could see Sean going five wide for a lot of this game and just saying, we're not even going to bother with the running. And but then if you don't get it, it's three and out and all of a sudden Niners have the ball back and it's and another seven, eight minute drive. I yeah, know. I know. I just... Did you way. notice the week 18 Niners, 449 yards, Ram two, Rams 265. The, the thing that jumped out in that game as it went along, and that was a great game. I really enjoyed it. Was it was awesome. The Ayuk and Jennings. Blocking. Blocking, but also 12 catches for 201 yards combined. It wasn't like just Debo running amok. He had the big play at the end. But it was really those other two guys, and I felt like they unlocked something. So if Jimmy's more healthy this week, that's another one. The Rams had 27 rushes for 64 yards in that game. I don't see much changing. And then you think the interception things. Jimmy's going to throw one, but probably Stafford does too. You'd guess he had two in week 18. He hasn't had one in the playoffs. He's been perfect in the playoffs, Stafford, um, those last two games. He hasn't thrown an interception. Now, there's been turnovers. Uh, I don't know. I feel like if he doesn't throw an interception, they're fine. That's asking a lot because San Francisco is really good and really opportunistic. But I still am not sold on their defensive backfield in a neutral weather, you know, L.A. day that Stafford can't have his way with those guys. They played awesome. And D'Amico Ryans deserves all the credit against Rodgers and Adams. Yeah. Rodgers, I mean, we didn't really get a chance. You did it with Cousins. Rodgers was only throwing to Devontae Adams. It was, it was bizarre. crazy. It was crazy. That, that deep pass on that third and eight where it's into double coverage, Alan Lazard is sitting wide open 12 yards down the field. He could have... I don't know what the game plan was. Was it like, I'm just going to stubbornly throw no, he, the ball? No, he hero about it. He was just right. like, I only trust one person and I'm cold. And guess and what? I'm, I'm just going to throw it up. Well, so the Rams, who, if you remember, only two weeks ago, we were like, what do we make of this Rams cards game? These team, these two stay away teams, anything could happen. I, I was like, went in doubt, take the points, took the cards, regretted it immediately, but certainly didn't feel good about either team. So they beat that bizarre cards team where Kyler... Just Full, yeah. takes a shit in the first half. Know. Like just has diarrhea all over the field. <laughs> Lovely. Then last week, this banged up Bucks team that in the second quarter was basically like, here, just, just you done. guys take it. Done. You, you beat us 38 to 10. We don't care. They're about to go into the end zone to go up 27-3. It's a wrap. Acres. Fumble. And then three more, like... I, I just can't get that excited about the Rams. I'm sorry. But what about how Because they of those two wins. 42 seconds left. Their ball is backed up. The world is melting. It's 24 points straight that they've scored. And Stafford hits Cup one time. It was a great Stafford, throw. It was one of, the, one of the biggest defensive brain fart strategy moments I don't know. Moments how, about the, how about the offensive side of it here? So that play is called the for the love of the game route because what Cup is told to do is to run a dead sprint to open up the field. Now, he's running a dead sprint. That's like a 4-4-40 right down the middle of the field. And you have to run it as fast as you can because you want to make sure that the safety has to travel with you so that you can have the underneath. Well, Cup goes and then Stafford sees him. He's like, holy shit, he's got a step on him and throws it. Like, the ball's to throw that pass. And then he actually catches it. I, I thought those 42 seconds erase the the quarter and a half that preceded it, that was just freakish turnovers and the world melting. I thought to actually come out of that with a win is more impressive than, hey, how disastrous would that loss have been? 
it was a weird one because it's like, wow, amazing win. We did it. But then you, you have these baggage things from it. It's like, do we trust Cam Akers now? What happened to our defense? What happened to Jalen Ramsey? Like just four minutes left, Jalen Ramsey, just make sure Mike Evans doesn't do anything and he gets torched. So what does that mean? I don't know. I didn't like it. Um, let's talk, uh, Chiefs Bengals quickly because I think we're I think we're veering toward the same spot on this. Chiefs have won 10 of their last 11. Their last seven games, they've scored 48, 34, 36, 34, 28, 42, 42. You don't even need to say the Chiefs are back. Mahomes at home in the playoffs, 7-1. Against the spread, 6-2. You have the Bengals who barely beat Vegas. I'll never understand why David Carr spiked the ball. Derek First Carr. Down. <laughs> or Derek Carr. Still. Derek Carr. David Carr, whoever spiked the ball. Collective Carr family. They barely beat the Titans. Barely. And the Titans were awful. It was as big of a... The Titans were awful. Laying of an egg of an offensive sideball because their defense was awesome. Their offense was horrendous. Horrendous. Couldn't block. So then, in my head initially, I'm thinking, oh man, I watched Bengals Chief. That was a slugfest. Week 17, Bengals 34, Chiefs 31. Game was in Cincinnati. No McKinnon in that game. No McKinnon, no Clyde Edwards-Hilaire either. No Edwards-Hilaire in that game. Chiefs were up 14, blew it. Blew the lead. Bengals ran for 19 for 60. Chase had the 16th biggest wide receiver game of all time. And the third biggest in the last five years. 266 yards and three touchdowns. How often does that happen? He had 11 catches. He had 12 targets. He broke like a bubble screen for like 80. He had another one where they just chucked it and he just made this incredible play. So we have all of these things pointing to, yeah, the Chiefs the Chiefs lost by three, but they had their third and fourth string running backs. They blew a lead and Chase had one of the great games of all time. And the Bengals still barely won by three. It's funny because that's the angle I have. And I know Bengals fans would say, don't you dare dismiss that because the Chiefs were playing for first yeah, first it was a they great were, win. I'm with you. I'm home with them. Um, there was a play at the end of the first half that Tyreek was wide open. They threw him the pass. It was in his hands. Von Bell knocks it away. But if they catch that, it's a different deal. There's a play to Travis Kelsey. I, went, I watched the game this week. There's a play to yeah. Travis Kelsey. Big third down. He inexplicably drops it. There was a strange third and 27 play called from the Chiefs. And then the craziest thing was it was fourth and six. They're going back and forth and they're on the Cincinnati 45. And Andy, of all people, decides to punt it away, and then the Bengals came right back and scored. You have to think that, okay, 266 yards and three touchdowns from Jamar Chase is what it took to beat us. Let's hold them to 200 this week, or let's hold them to 150, and we win this game, especially in Arrowhead. I think Joe Burrow's uh, quote was taken a little bit out of context, but he basically said it's loud in a lot of SEC stadiums. Mm. Whether, it was, whether it was out of context or not, because he was showing respect to the fans, I know those Chiefs fans. I know those Chiefs message boards. Uh, and I know how they hear that. And they're like, ooh, that's a challenge. Let's do this thing. Like, I, I could see this one being one of those deals where Cincinnati, awesome miracle season. Joe Burrow's doing things no quarterback has ever done as far as going right from college to right to an AFC championship game to possibly right to a Super Bowl. But I just, I, I think this might be too big a hill to climb. And also, this has already been an awesome season for them. And it's a little reminiscent to the Bills getting there. A couple years ago, You know, ago, the right? Browns, the Browns last year, it's like, wow, that was great. Congrats, Browns. You, you really, you really built something for the, I just can't see, 
I can't see them beating the Chiefs twice in four weeks. Now, you could say the same about Niners-Rams, but I just think the Chiefs, I think last week was the AFC title game. I hate putting it that way because it's not fair to the Bengals, but that's I think it I might have been the Super Bowl, Bill. I mean, that's, might have been. I mean that's, those two teams. And that's the thing. It's like the Chiefs, what's the analogy? It's like a cockroach, I guess, but like you knew at 13 seconds, you knew that wasn't over. 13 yeah, seconds. Well, I, I lived through it with the Pats that one year. So it, all know. of a sudden they're on the 20. That's what you're like, do. what happened? I thought we won the game. We I took the lead with 39 seconds left. You know, the reaction the next day was like, what a crazy thing. I'm like, that's the Chiefs. And I know yeah. everyone wanted to change the overtime rules, but like, you need to protect against that because that's all he needs. And yes, Leslie Frazier called the wrong defense. And sure, they could have done a squib kick, but like, that's the danger of betting against the Chiefs at any point in these playoff games. Mahomes has lost one game at home. It was to Brady. He's lost one other game. It was a Super Bowl in Tampa in Brady's building. He's never lost to a quarterback other than Brady in the playoffs. And we've been betting on him for the last two years. Bill, he's never led us astray. I don't want to jinx him, but like Mahomes has never done us wrong. We've been betting on him and he wins just about every time. Even last week, I was leaning toward the Bills and you came in hot with the Chiefs when we talked before the pod. And, and I was like, yeah, what am I doing? And at that whole game, I was never, I never regretted betting on the Chiefs. Even when the Bills took the lead and it was like, all right, I lost, but Josh Allen was just superhuman. I don't regret the bet. Josh Allen was amazing. Um, all right, when we come back, we're going to talk about all the uh, actual bets, wagers, angles, and then make some million-dollar picks. All right, some, uh, some gambling rules. Possible new ones to add either for this round or in general. Beware of any team that reminds you of the 2007 Giants. Just, I'm just, I'm not adding that to the full-time manifesto, but it's, it's, you know, like if you join like a golf or a tennis club, you have like the starter membership that might lead to a real one. I'm just going to give that a starter the membership. Under 27, that's what they call it, yeah. Don't bet against Pat Mahomes at home is starting to veer toward maybe a starter membership for that. Can't you see it? You've got like Paul Rudd in the jersey and Eric Stone Street in the jersey and there's Riggle and Keckner and oh, here we go. It's the Chiefs. That's what they do. It's the, it's, Kyle Brandt calls it the uh, fourth annual Arrowhead Invitational. Like, here we go. It's this whole shtick. We've done a bunch of force. Someone's banging on a drum and they win. And that's what they do. And you think the torch, the Pats getting past them in the D Ford game was like kind of a torch passing because that was the last piece for the Pats and now you take it. Another uh, possible gambling rule. Make sure the team with the home field advantage actually has a home field advantage. The Niners-Rams. You're just like, oh, Rams are home. It's like, are they? They. It's the same locker room they got to use all year. They get to sleep in their house. Other than that, is it going to be an advantage? And then the last one, and this one, I feel really strongly about as a possible. They might waive the starter membership and put it right into the country club. Beware of the nobody believes in our QB team. It's it's like the younger brother of the nobody believes in us team, but the <laughs> it's team a derivative. And we saw it with Eli. This was a thing with the Giants with Eli. We saw it with the Ravens with Flacco. We saw it with Nick Foles. Saw it with Nick Foles and the Eagles. There's sometimes if the team likes the QB and he's doing well enough and the QB's taking shit and it's all like, ah, they're never gonna win with that guy. And you see the team rallying around that guy, I think it's a good sign. I love that one because you like that one. I figured you'd like the, that one. Hey, Robbie Gold hits that field goal, and I don't know if you saw the mic'd up afterwards. He goes over and Jimmy's hugging him, and what Jimmy says is, and I'll say it quietly. I don't know. No, no, like, I don't. Fuck the Packers. I'm like, what right. a line! Like, what a line! That's his initial reaction to Robbie Gold, and I'm like, fuck the Packers. <laughs> like, all right, like, 
Who says that? Seems like a great guy. All right, so those are our possible uh, gambling rooms. The Lions are Chiefs minus seven. We're taping this. It's a little, uh, little after 11.30 Pacific time. Niners, three and a half. I can't believe that hasn't moved to three. Chiefs, Niners, if you think that's your Super Bowl, is plus 218. There's some alternate line stuff you can find on FanDuel. You can take the Chiefs down to minus two and a half. That's minus 290 instead of plus uh, minus 350. You take the Niners to plus seven and a half. You can put those two together. Chiefs to two and a half, Niners to seven and a half, even odds on FanDuel. You could do Niners to seven and a half and Chiefs money line. That's minus 108 on FanDuel. You could do Kelsey will score a TD. Chiefs will win the game plus 111. You could do highest scoring team, Chiefs minus 130. And just say, hey, the Chiefs are winning and they're going to score more points than anyone in that Niners-Rams game. Chiefs minus 130. You can do passing yard bets, which I would suggest against, but Mahomes is plus 170. Burroughs is plus 170. Chase and Cup, same thing for most receiving yards. I think those are stayaways. There's this other one. San Francisco wins. San Francisco's D scores the last touchdown of the game. Is plus 58-38. But $10, you could win $583 on that. You could say they're going to close it on a pick six, Stafford fumble, whatever. I thought that was fun. An Otis Smith fumble recovery into the snow. Yes. Couple parlays I really like. And this is all. I Do you want to do you want to just say that you don't you're leaning toward Rams. I'm full on Niners. I my full on Niners trumps your leaning toward Rams, but just make your Rams. I'm worried about this and here's why I'm worried case right now. I think the Rams are going to win this game. I don't think McVay is going to let this be seven in a row. And I think they're the healthier team, the fresher team. And I think these conditions actually benefit them more than the Niners with the style of game. And I think Stafford's got his groove right now. So I would take the Rams. But if you want to tell me three and a half, I would roll with the Niners three and a half as underdogs. If you want to tell me seven and a half, I'm with you. I think this is a field goal game. But I'm going with the Rams. But Bill, it is your podcast and it is your million dollars we're working with here. It is a field goal game, we agree, which is why I love the three and a half. So a couple parlays on FanDuel that I really like. Chiefs down to minus two and a half. Niners to plus 10 and a half. Over Chiefs Bengals, 39 and a half, which is a high line. It's like minus 900. You'd put the three of those together, that's plus 102. So we need the Chiefs game to have 40 points. Okay. You need the Niners to lose by 10 or less. And the Chiefs to win by a field goal. And that's basically even money. That's good. I can get on board with that. Same one, a little bit here. Chiefs minus two and a half. Over to 41 and a half. And this is a Mahomes bet. Mahomes over 250 passing. Mahomes over 25 rushing. I looked. He runs in every big playoff yeah, game. That's last not year he was hurt. Yeah, last yeah. year he was a little. But this, this would be plus 198 if you just hit Mahomes a couple times on pretty low over-unders for him because his passing's like 290. Um, Chiefs to win by a field goal, 42 points. That's plus 198. I like that. And then a, ver a same version of that where you have Chiefs money line, game goes over 43 and a half. Mo Mahomes, 250 plus yards. That's even. Mm. So you need 44 points, Chiefs to win. Mahomes throws for 251 yards. Sure. Which one out of those three did the you like? The second one. I like the middle one. So you liked 
Chiefs minus two and a half, Mahomes over 250, Mahomes over 25 rushing, over 41 and a half. Yeah, I like Two that. to one odds. Yep. And then for, uh, for our friends at FanDuel, because they have, FanDuel has these same game, same game parlays um, where if we can get it over four to one, it's a $10 risk-free bet. Okay. So our listeners can just pay $10. They, sure. If, if, if I lose, I just get the $10 back in site credit. It's a flyer. How do they find this? Because all my friends live in New York are like obsessed with FanDuel now. It's all they do all day long. They're betting on the second half of you Kings just, Warriors. How do you find these on FanDuel, Bill? Do you know? You do same game. Okay. You pick four things from the same game and they have to add up to more than four to one. Love so it. we have the Mahomes 250 passing. We have the Mahomes 25 yards. We have um, Chiefs minus two and a half. Take the over to 49 and a half. And Tyreek, <laughs> Tyreek scores a TD plus 452. Great. I'm in. Tyreek will score a TD. So we'll, dropped, we'll, we'll put a tiny a one on that. that first one. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Um, and then that's it. That's it. We have to start making some picks. Let's it's go. almost time. It's almost time for Kyle to turn the camera on. One question I have for you, because I can look this up right now. Yeah. Do we make a parlay bet on Stafford and Jimmy G to throw at least one interception? Each one throws one. I, I don't think, I think Jimmy G, I don't think Stafford will. That's my bold take. I think Stafford's dialed in. This guy's on a mission. Okay. All right, Kyle, turn the camera on. Million dollar picks for week 21 <laughs> of the longest NFL season Still of our going. lives. Somehow we lost 123K last week. Oh, even we, though picked... we went we went three and one and lost money because we went all in on the Titans That's right. with the lion's share of our money. Hit everything else. We hit Did... Niners. We hit Rams. Yeah, we, we had Chiefs. I felt missed on good. a couple of props. So the Titans, I'll tell you this, after the Titans lost, it was like, wow, we're going to get smushed. They didn't get smushed. Lost 133. We're still up 586,000 for the playoffs, up 250K for the year. And now the week that I like the most of any week of this season. Wow. I really feel strongly that the Chiefs are going to win and that the Niners are either going to win or come freaking close. I love the plus three and a half, but I really love them in a little tease. So what we're going to do on FanDuel is a little alternate line parlay. We're going to bring the Chiefs down to minus two and a half. That's minus 290. We're going to bring the Niners up to plus seven and a half, which is plus 200. And that gives us even odds for that bet, which we're going to put 500K on. <laughs> Let's go, Bill. 500K. Chiefs minus two and a half. Niners plus seven and a half. Then... We're going to put 200K on the Chiefs minus seven. Yep. We're going to put 200K on the Niners plus three and a half. Okay. I mean, how do we not respect ourselves otherwise? 500. How much do you want to put on Kelsey TD Chiefs win plus 111? A lot. I like that. Right. 100K on that. Now, for the I'm, listeners, just remember, I picked the Rams to win here. This is you saying spread here. I like the Rams to win, though. I don't know by how many, but the Rams, I still like the Rams to win. So don't have this money line Niners stuff. We disagree. Last year, when we had our award-winning million-dollar picks run, we there were a couple of games we disagreed on. Yeah. I don't. I think you're with the Rams like I am with the Pats. We took the Pats against the Bills in week one, even though we both love the Bills, and I was just like, I just... 
I'm trying to talk myself into the Pats, and it was just wrong. We should have bet like a dollar on that. I think that the Rams, I, I don't know. I, I think you're sweet on the Rams, just okay. in general. Fair. I think it's a little like me with the Pats. Highest scoring team, Chiefs minus 130. So that means of the weekend, of the four teams, the Chiefs score the most points. Do you like that I, better or do we have too much Chiefs no, money already? No, I like that. I feel like if we're going in on the Chiefs, let's go in on the Chiefs. And I feel like this one, yes, they're going to score points on that defense. Okay. So we're going to put 100K on that. We are going to put 100K in the following parlay. Chiefs minus two and a half. Mahomes over 250 passing. Mahomes over 25 rushing. The Chiefs-Bengals game will go over 41 and a half. That is plus 198. We're putting 100 on that. And then we are doing, just for, for the listeners... We're going to do a little same game parlay, which is a nice little deal on FanDuel. You have to get it over four to one and then you get, it's basically a risk-free bet. Mahomes, 250 plus yards. Mahomes, 25 plus. Chiefs minus two and a half. Over 49 and a half. Tyreek Hill will score a touchdown. Plus 452 on FanDuel. So we'll put we'll put a token 10K on that. Just yeah, to, we don't. Out of Tyreek support might, the list. Tyreek might do it in the punt game. Yeah. We don't know. Little 10K on that. And then, uh, Last but not least, putting 10K on San Francisco will win okay. and their defense will score the last touchdown of the game. It is plus 58-38. Who scores it, Bill? You call it out. Who scores it? Boy, this would be a great moment if this happened. Nail this. Is it, <laughs> is it Jimmy Ward? Is it Al Shazier? Is it Fred Warner? It yeah. feels Fred Warner-y to me. Okay. It feels a little Fred Warner-ish. Yeah, so we'll put 10K on that. And then I think we have everything. Chiefs and the Niners, which you don't totally agree with. That's no, fine. Let, you're my kind, the thing people don't understand is you're my conciliary. That's it. I'm, I'm Robert Duvall. I'm your Tom Hagen. I just yeah. give you advice, but you do what you got to do. I never look at you like like Michael did in Godfather 2 and just no. say, you're out, Tom. <laughs> That's it. Always get your counsel, Tom. What do you think we should do? We got Battaglia coming at me. I got Bart, you know, who, who else was in that? Tatalia, Barz yep. Bart, Barzini? Barzini. I get all the Italian names. Yeah. Salazzo, he's sending me Luca Brazzi's vest and it wrapped with fish. Yeah, you're always there. Um, that is the million dollar picks for what should be an awesome round three. And by the way, if the Niners end up winning, you know what? Seven, 17 to one? What'd you have? What'd you have them there? Seven, to win the whole thing or just to win the NFC? I forgot to mention this. I have I've had the Niners seventeen to one to win the NFC, which is maybe why, you're the biased one. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm the objective one right now. Which is why we're gonna do one more million dollar pick <laughs> just for fun. Chiefs, Chiefs Niners just to win two to one. We'll put fifty k on that just because just out of respect um, to both of those teams. Can I think I, those are the two best teams in the NFL. I know you disagree. Can I jump in that in uh, September fifth? You did an amazing. That has since been done into a video, a Patriots Buccaneers Super Bowl prediction. Really went sideways. It did. But in that same video, I say, I think it's going to be the Rams and the Chiefs. I so know. I'm going to double down on my preseason prediction. The Rams will win this game. And it's because I picked them to win. No reasons to do with the football teams. Themselves. You know what? I'm going to recant my 50K Chiefs Niners bet. <laughs> and we'll go personal bet. Chiefs Niners versus and Chiefs Chase. Rams. Next, next dinner. Dinner Whatever. next we'll week go. when I'm in LA for the Super next Bowl. Next dinner. Yeah, we'll, we'll do. do. That'll be a dinner.
Okay. Peter Schrager, we can see you on Good Morning Football. See you on Fox. And uh, we'll see you on this pod, I guess, in two weeks for the uh, Super Bowl Million Dollar Picks. I cannot wait. Bill, thank right. you. 21 weeks. Let's keep it going. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Brian Windhorst. Thanks to Peter Schrager. Thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing, as always. Thanks to Dylan Berkey and Steve Cerruti. And I will see you on this feed Sunday night, right after two awesome, awesome playoff games. Can't wait. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe.